See, there was this guy. A fan. I don't know how it happened, but, uh... You fucked him. And he threatened to sell these to the tabloids if I wouldn't pay them off. Wow. <laughs> you, uh, wouldn't happen to have another set, would you? From Slightly Unbalanced, we are still Queer As Folk. I'm Patrick Randall. And I'm Matt Dominguez. Today we're talking about episode 8 of season 5, and it's called Honest to Yourself. It first aired in the U.S. on July 3rd, 2005. It was written by Michael McLennan, his 13th of 14 episodes. He would later go on to write two episodes of Peter Page's show, The Fosters, a personal favorite of mine. Honest to Yourself was directed by Kevin Inch, his 8th of 8 episodes. He directed one of my favorite episodes, of course, from season 1. It was called Ted's Not Dead. I think we both enjoyed that, yeah. <laughs> that was like episode four, like three or four, something three like that. Three or four, yes, when we first met Blake. Yeah. Uh, Here's the synopsis of Honest to Yourself. Brian's midlife crisis reaches ahead when he wins his bet with Brandon, but opts not to collect his reward. Brandon's ass. Mm. Drew Boyd is outed in a tabloid and turns to Emmett for advice. And when the paparazzi track him down, he hides out in Emmett's bedroom. What better place to hide out, right? Hide out with your bottom. Ben continues to stress over Hunter's departure and clashes with Michael as he begins giving away Hunter's possessions. I've got a lot of notes on that. <laughs> Lindsay and Melanie begin their home separation with mixed results. And Justin confronts his father over his supporting the anti-gay initiative Proposition 14 and ends up being arrested. Good to see Craig Taylor again. Uh, so this episode had an A story and forerunners. I gave the A story to Brian's midlife crisis. This has been going on for several episodes now, and I was kind of happy to see how it was treated in this episode. I mean, it, it has been a minute since they've carried on a storyline beyond just the one episode. Well, this is Brian Kinney, after all, so he does get a lot of screen time. Oh, they care now? Okay. <laughs> so the bet continues. So it appears we're neck and neck. Dick and dick. Equal. Even, Brandon, but never... Never equal. Oh, but not for long. My number seven just walked in. What do you know? So did mine. <laughs> and my number eight. I don't believe there are any stipulations regarding more than a one at a time. I gotta say, uh, both Brian and Brandon look like really bad tops. Yes. Everything's like super slow and it's like... I. I also very uh, mechanical, very like, let me grab your hips and right. pull them towards me over and over. And, and we're over. done, right? Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the <laughs> point no of the enjoyment contest. to this. Yeah. yeah, there's no enjoyment to it at all. And this is where I, I, I then have a lot of questions about just the rules of the contest. All we're told in the last episode is that they're going to have this contest to top the a top bunch of guys. 10 bottoms <laughs> <Yeah>. of <laughs> Pittsburgh, apparently. But were the rules, it feels like. We're only being introduced to like the rules of the contest as they're checking people off on the list. Like signed are affidavits. They, are they <laughs> right? Like what was signed? What witnesses? Really? Like yeah, I thought was it just the honor system? Like how did they determine who was going to go on the list? Why would they assume like because uh, clearly like they they say that these are the ten hottest bottoms, but so I'm assuming that the list was the same. 
Yeah, they had the same list. They had uh, okay, had so the same it's the guys. same names. I, I'm amazed that they've decided that these ten top, like that, that these bottoms are the ones that they both find attractive, that they're both willing to seduce and court and get into bed. Then I want to know: Do the bottoms know that they're on this list? Is it some? Is it like an honor to be on this list? Is it an honor to just be nominated? Like, what's what's going on here? It sort of seemed like they knew they were on the list because it seemed like they had to sign something after they were topped. It's so stupid. <laughs> I hated this. I'm sorry. I know I think I, I know you said you you enjoyed how this like storyline like wraps up, but I hated every bit of this contest. <laughs> I I so like the contest. Much. Um I, well, but like you, I had questions like, what are the rules of this contest? And maybe they could have done it a little bit different. Like in the course of six hours at Babylon, you must bed the most number of guys in the back room. Exactly. Like I, the fact that it's the same list is what like the same names on the list is, I think, what's really bugging me because then it's like, oh, OK, we know we are going to be pawns in these two men's game to bed us. And I guess I'm cool with that. Like what? I think whores would be right. Know your worth, bottoms. Yeah, (laughs) but if you're like a total whore and you have the two hottest guys in Pittsburgh that want you, I'd be down for that, right? I I would like to be on that list. That's assuming that all ten of them even wanted to sleep with both of them. Oh well, that that's what that goes without saying. That's kind of implied that everybody in Pittsburgh wants to sleep with Brian, and apparently Brandon is uh, ahead of that somewhat because he's new and fresh and. Much younger than Brian. He's probably like 10 I'm years not, younger. I'm not into crystal chic as a look. So, <laughs> I mean, God bless all those who want to do that. But no, thank you. He's got some He's got some meat on him. Brandon? Yeah. We yeah, saw him naked. A little bit. Yeah. It's the hair. Yeah, that's true. He had that it looks kind of surfer so hair. It greasy. Like, it's perpetually wet. And I, no thank you. I'm like, condition, maybe? I think that's like, what they that's... called gel. People wore gel back in the early 2000s. <laughs> That was a rough time for a lot of people, it seemed. No, thank you. So Ted ends up inviting Brian out to get his mind off of Justin. How much of a raise are you gunning for? Is that what you think I'm after? Why else would you be threatening me with blowfish and mango martinis? Well, I don't know. I just thought, considering you've lost the love of your life and your best friend, your soulmate, the yin to your yang, as it were, you might want someone to share your pain with. And you're thinking that someone might be you? So I guess the writers forgot that the last time that Brian and Justin broke up, Brian went straight to Ted for companionship. That's true. When uh, So why is it bad this time? <laughs> well, okay. So there's not only that, which I agree. Like, and I like that Ted is like makes it very clear. It's like, I'm not that old accountant schlub that you always, you know, constantly put down. I, I'm, I have obviously changed. So excuse me for wanting to be that voice or like that shoulder for you. So I like that Ted is, has, you know, clearly stood his ground with it. But can we also talk about the way Brian manages to psychoanalyze himself to exactly why he couldn't be in a relationship with Justin? My mother is a frigid bitch. My father was an abusive drunk. They had a hateful marriage. Which is probably why I am unwilling or unable to form long-term committed relationship of my own. The fact that I drink like a fish, abuse drugs, and have more or less redefined promiscuity doesn't help much. As a result, I've lost the two people in my life that mean the most to me. 
Don't you feel better? No. But I'm sure you do. First of all, it's unusual that he would even come right out and say this, to Ted especially. <laughs> right? He just, he just offered it. Yeah. He says, look at me. Woe is me. I'm, I'm in a terrible state. Uh, second of all, it's entirely within his own grasp to do something about it. So why is he complaining to Ted? Mm-hmm. Yep. We need more he explanation. Seems he seems to clearly understand, oh, I saw my parents' failed relationship, and that is what has led me to this life of promiscuity, as I always had to deal with my identity and how my parents never accepted me. So, in case you were wondering, that's exactly why I am the way I am. Wow, breakthrough. I, <laughs> the, that, that mystery that I think we always had about Brian, about why he was the way he was, something that we found very intriguing, at least in the first season. And uh, then we started to question in terms of like, is he ever going to evolve as a character? Now leading up to the fifth, it's like, oh, no, I knew the answer all along. <laughs> I just didn't, didn't do anything. I feel like this entire writing staff teleported or time traveled forward to listen to our podcast and hear our confusion. <laughs> over a lot of things and then write them into the show because we were just talking about this the last several episodes like why is brian doing this why is he acting this way and then boom one paragraph saying why he's doing it thank you but <laughs> you could have done that like four episodes ago but and then all but also do it in a more dramatically interesting way just offering the answer it's like well yeah let me fill you in on everything that you didn't understand wouldn't it have been great if that was if it was justin like actually wrenching it out of him like finally putting him putting his feet to the fire to say this is what i have to offer you why can't you give me that and then brian finally explodes and says it's because this because that because this because that and it's like well no he's just gonna tell ted i mean it wasn't terrible and i liked hearing it but at the same time he didn't have a game plan going forward. He could have fixed that himself, but instead he's just saying, eh, that's me, which is fair, but that's not the story we're being told. It's so frustrating when we want to do a, a podcast that, that takes on why we find this show important to queer culture and like, and critique it. And is that why we do this podcast? As a service to queer culture. <laughs> well, and to entertain queer culture. There we go. That's, but like, that's there's a reason why this show has also sustained all these years. You know, there are people younger than me who discover this show and become obsessed with it. Like there is there is something to be said for it. You know, and that's I think that's why we were so intrigued to talk about it. But then you find frustrating moments like this where it's like, OK, we've invested this time with this character and you're just throwing him to the wayside. That's what it feels like. When, it, when a lot of shows start to get to their end and then everyone's like, well, we're not quite sure how we want it to end. Like it didn't feel like there was a path for Brian. So there's only one person left on the list and that's uh, a nice gentleman named Alex Easley. Uh, he's leaving for Puerto Vallarta tomorrow. Uh, couldn't Brian have just fucked him that night? Why did he have to go to all the trouble of booking a flight for the next day? It's like he's still in town. Go over to his house. Knock on the door. Yes. Why did he waste the money on a damn plane ticket <laughs> to go to Puerto Vallarta? It doesn't even fuck him in Puerto Vallarta. He only fucks him in the plane. And on approach. But then apparently he got right back on the plane and came back. So why couldn't he just do him at his house before he left? I mean, and we all know that those bathroom on planes can hardly hold one person, let alone two full-grown men. I started to wonder if this was the same uh, lavatory that George Schickel died in. Was that the same can set? Can you imagine? Oh, I would have loved that. Maybe we can do some side-by-side -side comparisons and yes. see if it was the same one. <laughs> they, had the, they had the room on hold. 
And like, well, you know what? Let's do a plane scene again. We haven't done that since Shiggle died. Okay, yeah, we got the set. Let's put it up. You know, one thing that, about that flight that uh, I did notice was they didn't call it a Liber- Liberty Air flight, which ordinarily they work in Liberty Air as much as they could because that was Brian's client. Here, they didn't even bother. It's just like some random plane. <laughs> no, it's actually just American Airlines or something. Yeah. <laughs> so Brian and Lindsay had, I guess what we'll call an interesting scene. At first, I thought this scene was about Lindsay uh, walking in on Melanie making out with that woman. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But then I realized that it was really here for Lindsay to lecture Brian. Just can't get it through your lesbianic brains that you have to stop clinging to your past and move on. Move on? That's a good one coming from you. Carrying on like an oversexed adolescent, that fuck off of yours. Yes, I know all about it. Everyone knows all about it. Childish competition between you and this year's young hot stud. Not only is it ludicrous, it's humiliating. Well, I hope you win. Even though you've already lost something far more valuable. So don't you tell me about clinging on to my past until you're willing to let go of yours. First of all, I don't know how she knew about this bet. Is she like that wired into the gay male uh, whore culture? Uh, but she tells Brian he has no quarter to to tell her to let go of her past with Melanie if he won't let go of his own. I'm starting to pick up on the airplane beating the woman scene here. Everyone <laughs> is just piling on Brian about the way he lives his life. Whatever happened to Lindsay being the biggest proponent of Brian's no apologies, no regrets? Here she's like, you apologize to Justin. You should regret this. Whatever happened to Michael saying that Brian will never change? Everybody's just lining up to take a shot at Brian. We can't be expected to think that these characters just evolved overnight and grew up. That, and uh, we'll get into that when we talk more about Mel and Lindsay. But <laughs> uh, I actually really liked her calling him out for the contest part because I just I hated the contest thing. I thought it was gross. So I appreciated that part of the lecture, but I do understand what you're saying about letting Brian still live his life, but she can still find like the contest, like such a gross display of supposed masculinity to like prove you're the alpha male. But in the past, she was okay with that. She was okay with Brian acting that way. And she defended him even to uh, her partner. I, I stand by what she said about the contest though. Sure. He can go and fuck whoever he wants, but then to involve other people in some little petty game, that's, that's where I'm like, okay, grow the fuck up. Just own the fact that you want to fuck these guys and that's cool, but don't make it some sort of like past the bottom situation to prove <laughs> that you're still the alpha male. That's just gross. I think if we were younger, we might do that. We might play past the bottom. That sounds fun. Here, you I take play the bottom. past the bottom if everyone was like involved in it and it wasn't a game. That's true. If everybody like, yeah, yeah if everyone was like, oh, I'm down, I'm down. Cool. Yes. I mean, I, I, like, I am entering uh, your contest. <laughs> <laughs> Pay the entrance fee. Right. So Brian's ready to collect his prize from Brandon. He won the competition. You can have my ass, but you can't have me. (laughs) Defiant even in defeat. I like that. Nice place. So, shall we get this over with? Allow me to point the way. Just go slow and take it easy. I don't bottom very often. I really wish this story had happened all in Brian's head, though. Or that it wasn't so literal with everyone knowing about it. 
I would have liked to have seen him reach this conclusion on his own that he you know, was kind of playing this dumb contest and he really shouldn't be. And yes, this 24-year-old is going to take him down eventually. I just wish it was in his head. I think that would have been really subtle writing that makes the viewer think. And then in having it be all in his head, it never would have happened. And so people wouldn't have been pissed off at him over it, like you. Yes, I would agree (laughs) with that. But also, Brandon's 24. Uh, I'm guessing that he's 10 years younger than Brian, and I think Brian's 34 now, right? Oh, you would have never convinced me that he was 10 years younger than Brian. You saw him naked in that shot, right? His ass looked gray, but his face... Yeah. Oof. (laughs) Wow. You're so hard on Brandon. Remember when when he first came out and we're like, this guy's cool. He's dark. He's mysterious. He's interesting. He's not saying anything. He's cuter than Brian. And then he talked. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem. He started talking. We're like, no, just don't say anything. Don't say anything. Keep playing this like, I don't speak thing. I I work with my eyes. So Brandon did have a standout line, though. Your years are numbered. Eventually, I'm going to tear you down and pull you apart. That really summed up the entire reason that this contest was happening. It was designed to show Brian that his time as the alpha male of Pittsburgh, who can just look at somebody and enter them, penetrate them, uh, is trying to a close. And that he might want to start thinking about options. Like, what's next for Brian in, in his life? <laughs> Retirement. Yeah. I, I would have liked to have seen Brian completely turned down Brandon, though, like before he even showed up and got ass up in his bed, I would have liked to have seen him say to Brandon, like at the bar, like he won and then just say, mm, don't really want you. Ooh. I think that would have been more of a Brian Kinney play than having the guy over, having him strip down and lay down in his bed. It's like, mm, I think he could have taken this guy out, like even in like round two. <laughs> <laughs> Do we think Brandon douched? <laughs> He doesn't bottom often. So like, I don't know what he, I don't know if he's fully aware of etiquette. I don't know. Uh, well, as we both know, uh, one does not always have to. Yeah. Those are the lucky sons of bitches. Like, well, it's all timing, right? And not going to like yeah. Chipotle. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> you went, you went like right there with the visual on that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so this story wrapped up, uh, Kind of nicely. Uh, This was a big moment in the entire series, not just this season, but the entire series. And in the next couple of episodes, there's going to be a great big dent in the Quirrus Folk universe coming off of this. So that was pretty good. I I still just wish it was in Brian's head and it wasn't fed to us so hungrily. Yes. (laughs) I'm stuffed. We'll be back with more Still Quirrus Folk. We're almost done with Liberty Avenue, but this fall, we're back. Back where it all started, the original Queer's Folk, UK. I was just a shag. I knew that. I suppose I fell in love a bit. Like you do. I thought, I'll never see him again. How was I to know? Stuart Allen Jones. Six months later, he was begging me to stay. Still queer as folk. I told you about that, did they? Slowly. Can I see you again? You can see me now. Nathan, where have you been? Piss off. Oh, now, your little friend. I could meet you tonight. 
God knows where I'll be tonight, you know? I could be anywhere. I could be an Ipswich. Come on, boys, give us a kiss. I'll give you a good fuck, you tight little virgin. You won't be laughing then. <laughs> Go in now, Stuart. Just shut your face and drive. Can I see you, though? Oh, you'll see me, all right. You can't miss me. Say a fond goodbye to Brian, Michael, and Justin. And meet Stuart, Vince, and Nathan. Join us starting December 4th as we take on Queer as Folk UK and 10 special episodes of Still Queer as Folk. Runner number one of the night, Emmett N, the return of the hunky Drew Boyd. Ooh. I do have a question about uh, Drew Boyd stocking. We've seen this before, right? Like every time Drew is kind of showing up, he's like either circling the block in his SUV or he's really on the down low. So he's been stalking Emmett this way for a while, but Emmett doesn't draw the conclusion like, hey, maybe it's Drew. It's just like, oh, it's somebody with a nasal condition. I know you're there. I can hear your sinus condition. Don't tell me. Another one? Fifth one this week. Another what? Oh, nothing. You know, Carl's a detective. Maybe you should tell him. Tell me what? Well, it's not like a crime's been committed or anything. It's just someone keeps calling and hanging up. Probably just a wrong number. Or a stalker. Yes, that's just a... <sighs> yeah. Honey, you've been it's near like... him enough. You would know the, the nasal condition. <laughs> right. That sounds like the guy who's plowed me. <laughs> yeah. And then to put a point on all this, he just grabs Emmett right off the street. He snatches him right off the street. I am... Don't be such a scaredy queen. No one is stalking you. Why would anybody stalk you? <laughs> Just because you're on the Channel 5 News and everyone adores the queer guy. And of course there is the undeniable fact that you do have an awesome ass. I oh, oh, please! Please, you can have anything you want! Take my bag! I'll give you an autograph picture! Damn it! Oh my god! Drew! That'd be terrified! He could have easily been like, hey, Emmett. Drew just comes across as creepy. Just, if he was, he, he clearly had a distance where he saw Emmett and he could have just like said his name. I mean, the, the reason it's here is so that uh, we see that Drew has to be paranoid of being found out and he has to go to great lengths to keep up his stealthy anti paparazzi thing. It was a great entrance, though, the way that he grabbed Emmett, but it's just like, <laughs> yes. Emmett, why are you putting up with people that do that to you? I used to have a stalker that would sit on my front porch and wait for me to come home all the time. I finally said, look, you got to knock this off. It's like, this just isn't cool. It's like you've got me going in the back door all the time now because I'm afraid of running into you just randomly. If you want to hang out, give me a call. And then he started to leave voicemails. And Hello? yeah, <laughs> I should play one for you. Oh, no, thank you. I am A-OK. -okay. So we find out that Drew fucked a fan. See, there was this guy. A fan. <laughs> I don't know how it happened, but uh, you fucked him. And he threatened to sell these to the tabloids if I wouldn't pay them off. Wow. <laughs> you uh, wouldn't happen to have another set, would you? Which I think that was kind of reckless. Oh, I found that like extraordinarily hot. <laughs> well, yes, absolutely hot. But he also, considering how careful he was about who he was going to fuck, like the fact that he, the way he fucked him, it. Or had carried on the affair with Emmett and was so careful that to fuck some random fan sounded really reckless <laughs> for what Drew was trying to do. When he met Emmett, it was a little more, I was going to say out in the open. Um, he was able to size him up 
in the open and because uh, he was catering the engagement party and things like that. So he was he met Emmett. I do like the idea, though, of a pro football player grabbing some random fan and plowing him. <laughs> it's like yes. gay boy dream come true or something. I was like, can we see the fan? Uh, well, we find out that there were secret pictures. And so we get to see the fan in the pictures, I guess. Well, but no, but like it was always hidden from view. Like Emmett saw it, but we as an audience didn't get to see it. Uh, yeah, Emmett did ask for that extra set of pictures, which I thought was hilarious. And I also thought it was Emmett gets it. Like, like funny <laughs> timing. Because <laughs> Emmett's just sort of like definitely into Drew. And he's kind of had enough of Drew's nonsense about being in and out of the closet. So I like that little moment of levity. Yes. And he had had it with Drew's nonsense even long before this. Like that's why yeah. they ended things. I thought it was really in character uh, that Emmett was open to talking to Drew about his problems, but he really wasn't budging. I like that. I like that Emmett really held to himself and he didn't immediately like rip his clothes off and jump on all fours or anything like that. Right. And say, I am whole, sir. Like, yeah. Right. He, 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 he manages to keep his distance. I mean, that's, one of the big reasons why I think Emmett next probably like Emmett and Ted are in like my top of favorite characters mm-hmm. is that Emmett manages for the most part to always stay true to who he to who he is, knows how to stand up for himself and manages to always seems to manage to walk the walk the way he talks to talk. Great. Yeah. Speaking of walking the walk, uh, there's something about that scene where Emmett and Ted are on that stroll through the park that I wanted to ask you. Mm hmm. Did you think that Ted looked ridiculously hot in that scene? I did. There's something about him. He, I was just like, he looked Ooh. so chic. <laughs> yeah, like the turtleneck was right. the 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 coat was right. The gloves, everything about the hair, I was like, everything. I was like, okay, now now I see it. Okay. Yeah, maybe he did have plastic surgery. Yes, I was like, okay. It was a little surprising that these are full body shots. I didn't realize that Scott Wool is that much shorter than Peter Page. He's probably. No, like five, 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 six ish. Guessing. I always thought Peter Page was kind of a taller, lanky type. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, like th- that's why I wasn't like thrown off by the height difference. Because then I think it also s- helps sell the way they've always portrayed Ted as being sort of the that nebbish, uh, you know, smaller in in stature and in personality type of person. There's one thing that I do uh, appreciate from the writing staff is that they're not constantly reminding us that those two had a long, torrid, and really messy relationship. I like that they're mm-hmm. not just beating us over the head with it. It's like, yeah, that, the, the viewer's going to remember that. So I, I do uh, like that. What did you think of Ted's story of when he was in college? Back in college, I was a zap. Zeta Alpha Pi. <laughs> I couldn't believe when I was accepted. I mean, it was one of the hardest houses to pledge, and they wanted me. Every Saturday night, I'd go out drinking and trolling for women with my frat buddy, Jack. One night, we came back totally smashed. And in my inebriated state, I confessed to him that I kind of sort of totally had this mad, passionate crush on him. He punched me in the nose and told everybody in the house I was a fag. After that, I was ceremoniously unzapped. It was hard enough for me, a mere mortal, to come out for deity like drew total throwaway didn't even need to be there it was stupid it's we should have heard this by now we should have heard that ted was a victim of gay bashing in college that it defined his character this is like season one stuff that would explain why he's timid why he can't find the one he loves because he doesn't trust anybody's the last time he told somebody that he is gay got punched in the nose 
that's like a formative thing that you don't introduce in the fifth and final season and the eighth episode out of 13 of the entire series. This should have come up a long time ago. It could have been the reason why he got into math. Thank you. Okay, fair. <laughs> Something, well, okay. What I liked about it was that it was that discussion about the complexity of coming out. I think today we have, now that we are, we have expanded what it means to be queer, there is, I feel, it feels like coming out is a whole different kind of process. And there is clearly much more of a shift of acceptance that has, that has started, that is, you know, slowly but surely we are getting there. Whereas here, you're right. It explains like, this is why it's difficult for Drew to just come out. And this is why it, it was probably easier for you to come out because there was never anything in your personality that didn't say you were out. Like there was no way to hide it. And here Drew has this hyper masculine, very macho type persona that, I mean, even in today's sports world is still kind of sort of getting there. We, we see a, we see athletes, a lot of them are coming out once the, they're in retirement, but still not having a lot of out sports players who are still active sports players and like very popular active sports players. So I under like I understood the purpose within this storyline. I do agree that, yeah, this would have been a really wonderful development to know about Ted that could lead up to this. Well, and also I think it's a, it's kind of a rookie teleplay mistake to say that for a character to give advice, they must have gone through that themselves. And I think that's the big mistake here is that Ted could have given the same advice without having to make up some bullshit story, right? He didn't have to go through that to be able to frame the discussion with Emmett and say, maybe Drew is feeling this, that, and the other thing, or positioning it that way. Because as soon as you base it on your own experience, you're saying that Drew Boyd, professional football player earning $100 million, is the same as me. And that's not the case here. I don't think he's saying that he's the same as him, but that there there is a similar journey. Between an accountant and a fraternity and a professional football player and his late 30s, mid 30s? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there can be, okay, just because they're in different professions doesn't mean that they couldn't have a similar coming out process. Like the idea of coming out to a frat brother in a fraternity, which is also living a den of trying to prove how manly and masculine you are. And, you know, is that what the they do there? With, I'm assuming so. I was in an honorary fraternity. Like we did shit. I watched, but, I watched like frat porn. That's well, yeah. different. <laughs> yeah, that is a different kind of situation. But I mean, like, yeah, there are definitely fraternities. I mean, I, even in my alma mater, you heard stories about all the stupid shit they did. We actually had a fraternity row. Mm -hmm. But then again, I also went to a small enough school where there was an agricultural fraternity. So is that what you were in? No. Oh. Why the hell would I be in an agriculture fraternity? I was I in the know. theatrics fraternity. What are you talking about? Please. Maybe you're in 4-H or something. I don't know. <laughs> so... No. Uh, Drew is outed, um, front page on a tabloid. Uh, that's kind of what you'd expect, uh, when a mm -hmm. pro athlete's going to come out. Drew finds Emmett for more advice. Uh, do you remember when Drew exited the show for a while and the straight characters started getting more screen time? I said back then <laughs> how great it would be to have an adult public figure coming out. And I'm so happy that this is happening here as much as I think that Ted kind of like erect part of it. That was all just throw away. I love seeing this play out. And for all the missteps of season five, 
I, I think the writers are getting this right with Drew Boyd. Uh, no argument here. I mean, yeah, that that you're right. Like the the fact that he has this this fan blackmails him for some money. He shouldn't have been surprised that the guy was going to just ask for more. Like, yeah, he's always going to be in his debt. He was always going to hold this over him. So of course he's going to sell the pictures. Yeah. So uh, Drew shows up at uh, the door of the house. Oh my God, Drew Boyd. We met you last year at the game. I remember. You're with this loud woman with red hair. That would be me. Come in, please. Thank you. Look, I, I just want you to know, I don't care what you do in bed or who you do it with. You're still one hell of a ball player. You have no idea how sorry I am you had to say that. But how glad I am you did. And Carl opened the door. And I just made a note here that I have always liked these scenes with Carl and Drew. There's only been a couple, like the one at the, the football game and when Carl is always so like in awe of meeting a professional football player. It's a little bit forced. It's like, oh, the straight guy sees the quarterback and he's a fanboy. But they play off of each other so well. I really like seeing this. I like seeing those two characters together. I want to see more of that. Not not like sexual or anything. I just like their dialogue and I like the way that you Carl... You like the straight bro... Well, I was I like the way that Carl is, is in <laughs> awe, but he's also acceptant, whereas before he wasn't. And so this is a journey for Carl. We see that in the words that Carl is using. And in Drew, we see him having to process new words from a guy who is clearly a fan. And I like seeing yes. this playing out. Drew acknowledging how important it was for Carl to say what he said was really nice. Like, and th- like that could have been really hokey, but it felt very truthful. Yeah, and, exactly. Like, very needed. And I really, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that, like you're saying, I think the writing very easily could have come off that way, but these two actors were able to, to really deliver it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, So the press has tracked down Drew. Uh, He's now trapped in Emmett's bedroom. Uh, (laughs) And because of what Emmett said in two, like, 30-second meetings, Drew decides he's just going to come out and admit it. That that part felt a little weak. That's a quick jump for a pro athlete to make. And I think I would have liked to have seen him uh, have more problems and more obstructions with this. Like, his agent would come into play. The manager of the team would come into play the comms people at the team would come into play. Everybody, like his entire entourage would need to weigh in. Yeah, where is the PR to like fix this? Yeah, or and if not fix it, but to manage it and to stay ahead Mm -hmm. of the story in the news cycle. So I would have liked to have seen some of that because those are the things that somebody like Drew Boyd would have in play when they're coming out. And that would have been a really interesting coming out story. Well, yeah. And it made me, I was wondering like how much time had passed between all this, because we were in, in this time since we last saw Drew, he had gotten to, he gotten married to Sierra. He had won a championship. Uh, and then he had already avoided like one pass at this blackmailing fan. And now he's back. So like, <laughs> I feel like the world just came crumbling down really quickly because now he's also been outed. He's getting divorced. Like, yeah, like I was seeing all of the inner workings and then somehow having that involve Emmett into it would have been would have been really nice to see. Yeah, you're right, because it, it seems like football season is still going like he's still playing. So did this happen across a I don't know how long is football season, like five months or so? 16 weeks, I guess. 16 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny we know that. <laughs> well, it's because the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl again, so I'm well aware. Uh, this is still Queer as Folk. Stick around. We've got more to come.
Our second runner of the night is uh, more problems with Ben. Ben is still not okay about Hunter. And uh, as a result, uh, he's smoking in the house. Uh, what? It would have made more sense for me if Ben was just smoking pot. It didn't make any sense, no matter what he was smoking. He could have been like smoking a, a, a Sherlock Holmes pipe, and that would have made no sense to me. It's like, he's so upset, he goes up into Hunter's room and smokes a cigarette. First of all, where'd he get that cigarette? Do they just have him laying around the house? And second of all- I remember when everyone in this show were like big smokers. Yeah, that's I right. Like that's yeah. sort of, I feel like that, and then that sort of like drifted away. I guess now it's gonna come back in moments of stress. Gay people surely can't be seen smoking. We'll give all the gay people a bad rap. Ooh. So uh, Michael had decided on his own to start giving away Hunter's possessions. I mean, granted, they're <laughs> his possessions, but he just decides unilaterally, like, I'm gonna start cleaning out this room. You're smoking in the house without even a window open? Where's his bed? I gave it to Justin for his new place. You gave it to Justin? He needed it. And Hunter doesn't? Hunter's not here. He will be. In that case, we'll buy another bed. Where are you going, sell his clothes? Cut his face out of all the photos? That's unfair. I wish you were here too, but he's not. He's gone. Well, unlike you, I still have a little faith. Faith, denial, everyone makes their own choices. Mine is to let him go and get on with my life. You choose whatever you want. <laughs> when he hands the bed off to Justin, he's like, you ain't gonna need it. I'm like, what? <laughs> How presumptuous of you. I, I mean, I guess I can see like people that are in like 20, 30 year relationships, like maybe one of the partners uh, just takes it upon themselves to clean out the room uh, for the benefit of the other person. But these guys haven't been together all that long. It's just like really presumptuous to start throwing away Hunter's stuff without even mentioning it. It's like Michael's really bad at this married with kids lifestyle. You don't do that. Oh, he's terrible at this. For how much he wants it, <laughs> he can't do it. He went to court for it. He threw friends under the bus for it. I mean, nothing. Michael has this long uh, soliloquy about letting Hunter go. Uh, we were right about something in the last episode. This is another like time travel thing where I swear to God, the writers like listened to us and then traveled back in time and rewrote the episode for our benefit. Michael was donezo with Hunter last episode and we called that out. Here he's like admitting it. He's coming right out and saying it. And why is he being so harsh on Ben though? Michael is basically making fun of him for holding on instead of being supportive and helping him through it. You would have thought Hunter died. Yeah, Michael was like trying to give him closure. Yeah. There was an interesting scene with Debbie and Michael. Uh, some Suddenly Debbie's like kind of in the middle of like the Hunter, Hunter, where is my Hunter? Heard from him lately? Not a fucking word. Can you believe that? An ungrateful little prick. After all we did for him to just walk away like that. Who else would have taken him in, made him part of the family? I mean, not that I care. Uh-huh. It's never Michael's fault. It's never Michael's fault. I mean, I guess uh, we can give props to the writing staff for being consistent with Michael anyway. <laughs> that is very true. But yeah, yeah. It, it's always like, how dare Brian do this? How dare Lindsay and Melanie do this? How dare Justin do this? How Those dare ungrateful do this? pricks. Like, I think the ungrateful prick here is fucking Michael. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. I think we're done. I think we're done with Michael. <laughs> I think I'm almost done with this show. Ago, but I think today we're like, we're out. As soon as season five started uh, in that first episode, I was thinking, oh no, this is going to get messy. And we were right. <laughs> <laughs> 
in another uh, time traveling thing where the writers heard us, uh, Ben actively goes out and tries to find Hunter. Remember last episode? I was saying, why isn't he doing something? It's like, get in your car, drive around. You found him two other times. You can find him again. Hey, Hunter! Hunter! Never mind. Don't look so disappointed. I can be Hunter if you like. Thanks, it's not what I'm looking for. Then why are you here? Hey, whatever he did for you, I can do it better. I know Hunter. You do? He left town. Where'd he go? Someplace warm is all he said. He said he hated it here, that he's never coming back. And then uh, a Hunter emails Michael. Ben. What is it? Come look at this. Not much of a correspondent, is he? He said what we needed to hear, and he signed it love. Okay, first of all, why didn't he email Ben? <laughs> yeah. Do they only, I mean, because we know they have more than one computer. <laughs> Sorry, Michael bought the computer. <laughs> and then uh, Michael kind of whipsaws back into Hunter's corner with, he said what we needed to hear. What we needed to hear. Michael is so manipulative because he's like, see, I cared just as much, even though I was giving his shit away. Michael, you didn't want to hear that at all. You just wanted Ben to get over him and get back to topping you. Remember he told mm-hmm. he told his mother that Ben's not putting out. God, what a selfish prick. And, and the other thing too is, gee, I don't know, maybe reply to the email. <laughs> <laughs> I think they just left it there. Yeah, delete. <laughs> like spam. Yeah. <laughs> Unsubscribe. Okay. Let's talk about another runner. Uh, Runner number three, Lindsay and Melanie. The in-house separation. This kind of reminded me of Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin with their conscious uncoupling. Only this isn't quite as interesting as that seems. So they share chores, bills, and childcare, but otherwise live totally separate lives. Except for what they were literally doing moments before when Lindsay said that. Come for my little honey bun. <laughs> I never thought I'd be taking my kid for a workout so soon. Well, Jemper's not exactly ripped Jim. <laughs> Go get her. Perfect blend of cream and honey, as usual. Thank you. Anytime. You know, if I didn't know any better, I'd say you two were back to normal. Mm, not quite. It sure looks that way. Mel and I decided to have an in-house separation. A what? It's what our therapists call it. We both live in the house. Mel keeps the second floor, and I'm in the studio in the attic. We share chores and childcare, but otherwise, we live totally separate lives. Uh, okay, you're like sitting down, you're paying bills together, and you're having a moment, and you're like sharing tea. Living totally separate lives? Not so much, right? No, they've all of a sudden turned into the, like the most well-adjusted, reasonable people in the series. And I'm like, where did that just come from? Wasn't it three episodes ago you were tearing each other's heads off with your lawyers? Oh, yeah. To get the custody, one-third custody of a baby? Could you ever have a relationship like this with an ex where they live, like, up in the attic? <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, there's no way I could I do that I can certainly either. have a friendship with one if they lived on the other side of the city. Yeah, run into them once well. in a while, call each other when it rains. Yeah, text, you know, text up, how's it going, how you thriving, surviving kind of thing. Yeah. that That's it. Yeah, not in the house, though. <laughs> no. Oh, my God, no. I mean, I do like it as kind of a storytelling device where it's only going to lead to interesting events. But I don't know. Do people actually do this other than Gwyneth and Chris? 
there's no indication, like we've talked about before, that Lindsay and Melanie are broke. They say they are all the time, but I don't think so. So they don't they don't really right. need to do this. Like, what an opportunity for Lindsay's parents or for Lindsay to go to her parents and say, listen, that was last. You episode. don't like me. <laughs> I don't like you. I'm never not going to be a lesbian. You want to never see me again? Fine with me. This is what you're going to deposit every month so you can take care of myself and your grandchildren. And that's all you need. All right. Oh, wow. Thank you. I'm out. Like, that's it. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with you. But by the way, give me money. They want nothing to do with her. So what a way to keep me at a distance. That's Just drop true. the cash yeah. and we'll be done. So Michael stopped by, kisses both Melanie and Lindsay on the cheek. Is nobody holding a grudge over this past legal dispute? After all, not not only did they cost each other a ton of money, but they also slung so much dirt and hate at each other that it's totally improbable that they could be so happy and chummy with each other now. I would carry this grudge for years if somebody did that to me. I would not oh, get over it. A hundred percent. Like, hold on. Do you not remember what you said? Not such a long, you know, such time ago. What, three episodes ago? But, yeah. <laughs> fuck you and fuck everything you stand for. You mean nothing to me right now. Maybe years down the line, we can talk about a reconciliation. But right now, piss off. Like, come on. Yeah, it comes right in. It's like, good to see you. Kiss, kiss. Uh, here, hold the baby. And so I'm like, did you forget what you did to each other? Clearly they did. Well, we do get some interesting story coming out of this. That's a new character named Corinne who asks about Melanie. I must have onion breath. From the Greek salad. Then I must too. We'll cancel each other out. It's not just the onions. I know. It's, it's been so long since I... No need to explain. Some other time. <clears throat> oh. I'm sorry. That was a cute little date that they had. It was. Um, the fact that it was like snowing as they were walking yeah. home. Oh, come on. I could see it coming a mile away that Lindsay was going to somehow appear in that scene. But okay, I can, I can work with it. I am I saw it coming, but I want to see it. I want to see what happens. It, it, yeah, exactly. Because like there's, we're showing like, oh, look how well they're managing to work this thing out together, even being in the same house. And yep. again, <laughs> very well adjusted. But oh my God, you, you still want to be a practicing lesbian? Um... Hmm. I kind of think uh, that this should have been Lindsay that was dating, not Melanie, since she was the one that was clearly done with Melanie. I think Lindsay's, uh, Lindsay's kind of the gotten, one that left. Lindsay's right? gotten more than enough sex in here. Good for Melanie. She needs she needs a good boink fest. Good for her. Well, early stories had shown us though that Melanie wasn't quite done with Lindsay, but here she is. I just think it would have been fun to see Melanie just keep getting crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about recycled storylines. Well, I mean, uh, she was crazy and she was acting like out of her mind. And then, like you said a few minutes ago, all of a sudden it was like her bipolar pills kicked in and she is back to level headed. She did say something odd, though. And that was when she said that it was a long time since she was with somebody. But she had an affair in season one with Marianne. She had an affair with Lita in season two. And then that's been a long time. It's not that long so hard about making out with somebody well no throw in the fact that she's also been pregnant and taking care of a child so there's at least 10 months yeah but you, you still know how to like make out with somebody right you jump right well, you back into the saddle going. like hey, uh yeah okay goes on their own journey yeah the the like the physical piece is kind of what i was bumping on um but you just uh talked about the mental piece 
mental piece I can yes. believe. Like I'm not used to thinking about somebody else in this way. But I kind of read it as I don't know how to like munch on you. I'm sure that's like riding a bike. Aside from that, um, damn, Melanie, don't do that on the porch if you're still thinking about Lindsay and having problems. It's like, what? <laughs> listen, the the atmosphere was right. It began to slowly snowfall and they were having a wonderful meet cute. They had a great dinner. The vibes were there. Yeah. Good for her. I still miss crazy Melanie, though. Because um, eh. she's just uh, all of a sudden she's super rational about it. And she apologizes to Lindsay for seeing it happen. Uh, they get this rule about not bringing people they're dating to the house. That would go sideways like really quickly because it would just turn into a situation where the other person that you're dating is just wondering what the hell is going on in that house that you live in with your ex that you can never go to. You can't come within like two blocks. Could never do it. Yeah, it's just not entirely honest or open with the other person. So another reason not to have this... uh, the stay situation staycation i was gonna say staycation <laughs> i would love a staycation right in-house separation yes all right let's talk about justin going to jail that yes. we didn't exactly see him in jail which is disappointing because i wanted to see that uh so justin's moving into his new place I, I always find it weird when michael and justin are like super friendly and bffs with each other yeah all of a sudden like michael is helping he's giving away hunters you know shit to him he's going up all these stairs and i assume is only a walk up in pittsburgh you know with all this stuff and i'm like you run so hot and cold with justin over the seasons he has done some pretty awful things to justin and in trying to protect his own relationship with brian and he's still kind of doing that so yeah, hot and cold. Justin's dad appears on the list of local bigoted businesses, I guess we'll call it. Yes, what a surprise. Did we know that Justin's father uh, ran a TV store? I don't think we did. An electronic store? No, I always thought he was like some sort of higher up executive, not yeah, like a exactly. store manager. I thought he was generic suburban dad. It's like, yeah, well, he goes to the office every day. We don't know what he does. <laughs> right. And here they decide to be really specific. I, I get excited when Craig Taylor shows up. He's just such Why? a he's such a villain to Justin. And you just know that fireworks are going to happen. It wasn't surprising to me that he played the you broke up the family card. And, and that's a real thing when a teenager comes out with conservative family. So I like seeing Craig show up and kind of disrupt everything. Like Justin was kind of on a, a good trajectory post Brian. He had his studio, he had Hunter's bed, and then his dad shows up. I don't, I don't like, I'm sorry, I don't like Craig. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just gonna let you have your moment. <laughs> Craig had great lines good. though. Remember the, he wore a condom, oh, I put him on the, myself. The, uh, the, I, think, I think because he is played as such an overt villain that I sort of just, I tune out that kind of religious like buzzwordy speak. That's a choice abomination in the light in the Lord's eyes and all that bullshit. I'm like, Justin, did you really like, I, I applaud Justin for saying like, I am going to march to my dad's office and I'm going to tell us, say like, this is what you believe. You're okay. If this hurts your son, your only son, you're okay with that. And the fact that Craig is able to be like, yeah, Good. Well, I'm glad to hear later where Justin uh, realized that he shouldn't have expected anything else. It's like, duh. (laughs) 
Took him a while to get there, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Justin didn't hold back when he was protesting at Taylor Electronics. Do you know that the owner of this store is a hate-mongering bigot who wants to deny honest citizens their rights? First, he totally slams Craig's business. Love it. Then he's like, fuck it, arrest me. <laughs> it's like, that you go, so girl. Great. That was so great. Like, even the cop there is like, are you sure you want to do that? Like, that is your... Even the cop is like, mmm. And it's... And I love... I love that. Like, that's where I wish there had been, like, more local news around. Because then they could watch what happens when a father willingly throws his son in jail for being gay. I think there's a missed opportunity here. Uh, there could have been a great moment to further the Brian and Justin story by having a frantic search to find Brian to bail Justin out of jail. Yeah, then have a nice confusing moment between Brian and Justin. Because remember, everybody goes to Brian to bail people out of jail, like Vic. I think that could have really furthered the other story too and keep these characters like still encountering each other and still having these awkward moments where they're unsure about things. But instead, uh, Ben and Jennifer bail them out. You got excited when Craig showed up. I got excited when Jennifer showed up. <laughs> she is the ally. She is our ally. Move over, Debbie. The new ally is in town. Yeah. Love Jennifer Taylor. She's going to punch in for a shift at the diner next. <laughs> I would love it. I would love nothing more. And the fact that she was clearly going to have some choice words with Craig. That's the scene I want to see. I want to see her cut his little dick to size. Would have loved that. So that uh, cute little moment with just Justin and Jennifer. I just want you to know that even though your father may no longer consider you his son, you will always be mine. I'm just sorry I fucked things up. Fucked what up? Well, Dad says it's on account of me that, that I'm the one that destroyed your marriage. Honey, you don't really believe that. Well, it's not true. We were having problems long before you told us you're gay. So, if he wants to lie to himself and blame you, let him. Don't you dare blame yourself. Hmm? Ben, I guess they sent to go get the car or something. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, Ben, we're going to have a moment. Yeah, Ben didn't even mind. need to be there. <laughs> <laughs> Why couldn't it have just been his mother getting him out of jail? What do you need Ben for? Uh, they they clearly wanted to tie like Ben still being a father like figure to someone with Hunter not there. Uh, so they that's a good transfer, point. They, you know they transfer that energy over because like clearly it, it bothers him because there is that moment where the camera sort of stays on Ben when he sees what Craig agreeing to sending to having Justin arrested and that really sticks with him. It's like he now ha no longer has the person that he was taking care of as his son, and so to watch someone who had someone for who's had someone for 20 years as her son, be so willing to just get rid of him like that. Okay, let's talk uh, tops and bottoms for this episode. What was your top? Drew Boyd is always my top. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I loved Drew coming back into the storyline. I like that he's finally taking that opportunity to possibly take Emmett's words to truth and come out, and I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, and also for uh, the way Justin stood up to his dad and stood up for his principles and really showed who Justin's dad really is. So, yeah, fuck you, Craig Taylor. Well, one of my tops was uh, Drew Boyd. <laughs> He's everybody's tops. He's all tops. I've been waiting for the adult coming out story since I don't when did Drew show up like late season four, maybe. Mm -hmm. So I've been waiting for that for a while and I'm so happy it's happening here. So that was my top. 
Who was your bottom? Uh, the contest. I hated it. I think it's grody. And I <laughs> I want bottoms to have respect for themselves and know that they are better than any tops that can possibly want to trade them around like playing cards. I think your idea that Brandon is more of a manifestation of Brian's fear of being forgotten in some way or, you know, uh, what his legacy might be, I think is a hell of a lot more interesting than just saying like, yeah, this new guy showed up and they're going to like fuck their ways around to the top. For my bottom, I didn't have one. I'm all in on this episode. The pacing was great. The runners were meaningful. (laughs) And Brian's A story wrapped up nicely. I like this episode. This is the first episode probably in maybe 10 or so that I thoroughly enjoyed. It's like I, I had notes on it, but you know, that's what we're paid to do in this podcast right. is give notes. So I, I couldn't really start the podcast and say, this was great. Got nothing. Roll the music. <laughs> See, you next, <laughs> See you next episode. No, uh, that's what I, uh, I, I would agree that I think the pacing of this episode, because I mean, I said this before we even started recording today that I was really surprised. I felt like this show clipped along. This episode really just moved it it didn't feel like it had a whole lot of extra fat to it and was, yeah so i liked that this has been episode eight of season five honest to yourself next time on still queers folk Lindsay feels threatened by melanie's dating wasn't that this episode uh <laughs> well of course they gotta carry it on justin's mom announces she has seen a younger man <gasps> yes jennifer <laughs> and drew decides to come out on national television That will be episode nine, and it's called Anything in Common. If you like what you've been hearing, please be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. And be sure to follow the conversations on our Facebook page at Still Queerest Folk and on Twitter and Instagram at Still Queer AF. You can find me on Instagram at Patrick Randall if you want to talk to me directly. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Matthew PD. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Patrick Randall. And I'm Matt Dominguez. Still Queer's Focus, a production of Slightly Unbalanced. Matt Dominguez wrote and performed the show with me tonight. New episodes every other week for season five. Still Queer's Focus was made with love in Chicago.